0: Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things Podcast? I'm John Stonge, and each week we take an in-depth look at God's Word with the goal of putting our minds in a better place and learning more about what it means to glorify Christ with our lives. Our current series focuses on the Holy Spirit. We're taking a look at who he is and what he does in the life of a believer. And I hope you'll find this week's message helpful in your personal understanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry. But before we dig into this together, let's pause for a quick word from today's sponsors. Quick question Would you consider yourself a founder, innovator, or trailblazer on mission to grow, show, and share your faith through creative pursuits like speaking, writing, or testifying? Perhaps even as an entrepreneur? If the answer is at all yes, I'd love to invite you to my audible gym, the Fit and Faith Podcast. I'm Tamara Andress. I'll be your trainer. Don't worry, this isn't a sweaty fitness podcast. This is where you will be mentally, emotionally, financially, and spiritually flexing as we endure, shape, and sharpen our skills to be messengers for the kingdom. Let's get fit and faith. Inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're continuing our study of the Holy Spirit all throughout the summer. We've been looking at what Scripture reveals about who He is and what He does. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit gives us the grace that we need to serve. So if you would, take your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 16, although uh, our focus is going to be on the first section and the last section of this passage, but let's read it all together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1, this is what it states. The Apostle Paul said this, he said, I therefore one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led host. A, he, excuse me. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. in love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of your Word together today. Lord, I thank you for just bringing this to our attention, allowing us to see these things, allowing us to meditate on the truth that you reveal to us in your Word. And Father, we know that as we we look at a portion of Scripture like this, You give us a lot of examples of how we as believers are called to serve one another, but you also remind us that the grace, the the strength, the power, the energy that we need to serve one another, the wisdom to serve one another, that that's something that you supply. It's not supposed to come from us. It comes from you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this example and these reminders from your word. And as we study it together, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand what we're reading and that we would apply it in our relationships with one another. We love you, Lord. We commit this time to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, two of the men from our church attended four days of theological training that was led by seasoned pastors for the benefit of those who are Looking for different ministry opportunities or maybe exploring what they want to do in future years. Uh, one of those men who attended happened to be my son Daniel. And so um, on Thursday, I, I drove to pick him up. And um, I was very curious, just in the conversation on our drive back, I wanted to know what he gleaned from the times of fellowship and the times of training and all that that he had the opportunity to experience with various church leaders and, and various pastors. And he had a lot of valuable takeaways from the the conversations and from the the classes, but one of the primary primary things I heard him express in uh, our conversation as we had a a couple-hour drive, he expressed an appreciation for those who have committed themselves to serve the local church. That was one of his assessments as he spent that week together with this group of guys. Uh, he just felt a great appreciation for those who have committed themselves to serving the local church. And he expre- as he expressed that, that appreciation, he was also just expressing a desire for wisdom from the Lord to discern what his role of service will look like in the next season of his life. And I think that's interesting because when you look at Ephesians chapter 4, you see a variety of things here in this portion of Scripture. You see the Apostle Paul explaining the ways that believers are equipped to serve and lead in the church. That's something that's explained, the different categories of leadership, the different ways people have the opportunities to serve, because the Lord raises up leaders, and then He gives them grace to serve well for His glory. Now, some people run from God's calling, and other people choose to joyfully embrace God's calling on their life. And i You know, I could just throw this out there for us to wrestle with for a moment, but have you ever wrestled with whether or not you have a calling to some form of servant leadership in the church that the Lord's placed upon your life? Do you ever think about that? I know in conversations with, with several of you in recent days that some of you are really thinking a lot about things like that. And here's the other thing. If you answer that calling, there's kind of two ways you could go about it. One is the wrong way and one's the right way. The wrong way is to rely on your own strength. The Lord calls you to any area of service and you choose to rely exclusively on your own strength. You will end up regretting doing that and it will limit the fruitfulness of the area that you're choosing to serve. The other option is that you rely on the Holy Spirit to empower you. And so today, even as we're talking about this idea of the grace to serve, when we look at what, what Scripture refers to when it's talking about this idea of grace, it's this unmerited favor, this gift from God that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve. Where the Lord, in this context, we're saying the Lord empowers us to serve one another for His glory. He gives us the grace we need to serve. That's the right way to go about serving others as you answer the Lord's calling on your life. Now, in Ephesians 4, you have the Apostle Paul referencing a variety of things, and I want to highlight some of the things that he talks about as he gives us illustrations of the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who will empower our ministry and unite us together. And when you look at verses 4 through 6, we just read them a moment ago, but I'll reread them for us. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, did you happen to notice a particular word repeated in that passage? It's one, right? Now, keep that word in in your mind for just a moment here, because there are two perspectives toward unity that I frequently hear discussed Among well meaning believers. And one perspective on unity, and he brings up unity in this context, but one perspective on unity teaches a form of unity that comes at the cost of the truth. While the other teaches that there's only one way that true unity can be obtained, and that's when it's anchored in the truth. And so you have in these verses here, you have the Apostle Paul basically giving us some very helpful foundational doctrinal information. If you want to understand the Christian faith, you want to understand like the deeper aspects of what the Lord's telling us in His Word and what goes into our faith and what's behind our faith, you have Paul here speaking of great theological truths that our unity is supposed to be anchored in. If we're united to one another, if we're one body, we're one church, our unity is supposed to be anchored in the things that he referenced here. And again, he, he talks about this idea of one. What does he say? Well, he says there's one body, not many bodies. He says there's one body. So this is his way of saying that in the eyes of God, there's one church, not many splintered churches. It's one church, one true church, not a whole bunch of splinters. There's one Holy Spirit, Paul says, and he lives within all believers and he binds us to one another. There's one hope. Well, what's the one hope that he's talking about? Well, the one hope he's talking about is the hope of the gospel. One singular hope in Jesus Christ through whom life is found. And he also talks about the fact that there's one Lord. Well, who's who's the one Lord? Well, the one Lord is our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he talks about one faith of which Christ is the cornerstone. Then he also says there is one baptism. Now, I imagine that if I was to pull the room here, There might be several different ways that that some of us experience baptism, maybe uh, different seasons of life we were at. Maybe you were young, maybe you were a bit older when you were baptized. And so what's Paul talking about when he says one baptism? Well, I'll give you a hint. He's not necessarily just referring to the concept of water baptism. Water baptism is an illustration of the deeper reality that he's talking about here when he says there's one baptism at the moment of salvation, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 tells us that at the moment of our salvation, we were spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit. So when when Paul here is talking about one baptism, he's talking about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened at the time of our conversion, and water baptism is an outward expression of the baptism that's referenced here. Then he also says there's one God and Father of all, through and in all believers. Our God is a God of order. One of the things, I actually really appreciate this about our Lord, the fact that he's a God of order. Is anyone a little OCD like me? And You don't want to admit it, right? Because then you don't want the people next to you to know that about you. I really am. I once had somebody say to me, he, he's like, he's like, you say you're OCD, but let me check your car for a second. I was like, all right, it's fine. You can check my car. And he's like, just so you know, I'm going to also check under the mats." I was like, feel free. And he went and checked. He opened the door, and he's like, forget it. He closed. He's like, forget it. I don't need to check under the mats. You really are kind of OCD. I was like, all right, that's fine. And then you look at what Scripture tells us about our Lord. Now, the Lord is not OCD, but one thing I do appreciate about our Lord is that he is a God of order. And you see this in his creation, but you also see this in how he structures the church. And he also wants to... He wants us as his children to reflect his heart and to reflect his plan as we function together in an orderly way as his family. And so here he talks about unity through the Apostle Paul, and the the unity that we're blessed with, it's not a shallow kind of unity. It's a unity that's supposed to be based on doctrinal truth. It's a unity that's not supposed to overlook glaring issues. It's a unity that acknowledges the nature of God, the purpose of the church, the manner in which the Lord has designed His body, the church to operate. And when a family is united, it's powerful and it gets things done. And then you jump into verse 7 and the verses that come after that, and you have this idea expressed here that, listen, you've been given gifts now, among this united body of Christ, to build one another up actively so that the church grows mature. When you look at verse 7, it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, we're talking about this idea of the grace to serve. Do you ever think about the fact that the Lord has spiritually equipped you to serve other people? When we were looking at 1 Corinthians 12 some weeks ago, we talked a bit about that. But do you think about it frequently? The fact that you've actively and divinely been given grace from God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been given grace. You've been given the power of God to intentionally serve other people for His glory. And here Paul says it. He says, but grace was given to not just some of us. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. Whether you're 10, whether you're 100 years old, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that grace was given to you according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then when you jump to verse 11 uh, and 12, you have the Apostle Paul here explaining how this is manifested in leadership roles that exist in the church. And this is just one of the ways that this is demonstrated. It's not only demonstrated in leadership roles, but it's demonstrated in other ways as well. But in this way, he says it this this, this way. He says it uh, along, along these lines. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, he's going to elaborate on this more and show an even broader application of this in just a few moments. But before we get into that, look at what he says here. You know, the Lord desires that his church be led well. He wants it to be led well. And for that reason, he calls certain people into various forms of church leadership And then he empowers them to serve by the Holy Spirit as they lead. But church leadership is not an easy thing to be involved in. You know, one of the interesting things that I have noticed over the course of the 15 years that I've been serving here as pastor, I have noticed that um, a variety of people who have, have been involved directly in forms of church leadership have come to our church after that season has been finished and have spent time here recovering from doing that. Those of you that have been here a while, have you noticed that pattern? It's a very curious pattern to me. I'm grateful that our, our church could be a place of recovery from so, from, for some that got really close to the flame doing that. It's not for the faint of heart. It looks a lot more glamorous from the outside than it does from the inside. And I think many of those leaders would tell you that. I could personally tell you that as well. Looks a lot more glamorous from the outside than it does from the inside. I I thought the role of serving as a pastor was going to look one way until I actually did it. And then I was like, all right, sometimes it looks like that, but other times it looks very much not like that. But because the Lord loves the church... And he wants it to be healthy. And here's the thing. When we're involved in, in a local church, you're not involved in just some social club. You're not just involved in something fun to be uh, connected to for a period of time and just see your friends or, or something like that. It's not like that. It, there's much more to it. The Lord's purpose for, for rescuing and redeeming humanity throughout the world, it's accomplished through local churches. It's actually the front line of the Lord's redemptive work here in this world where believers together, they, they come together as, as part of a local church and partner together to proclaim the gospel and fund missionary work and, and send missionaries and train leaders and train their children. It's actually the front line of what the Lord's accomplishing in our generation. And so he calls and equips people in multiple ways so that we could serve one another and build one another up. And our areas of service vary, and that's on purpose. The Lord does it on purpose so that certain areas don't get skipped, Our roles of leadership differ, and that's, again, on purpose. And when you look at Ephesians 4, you can see various ministry or leadership roles that are mentioned in this passage of Scripture. He tells us that Christ called some of the early church leaders to serve as apostles of the faith. He He also called others to operate in a prophetic role and gave them the ability either to foretell the future or to speak in a way that would directly impact the consciences of the hearers. Christ has also called people to serve in evangelistic roles, pastoral roles, and teaching roles. Five different forms of leadership that we see described here in this portion of Scripture. And here's the thing, and I want to mention this because, again, I know that several of you have expressed recently desires and thoughts about serving in various forms of vocational ministry. And I'll tell you what, when people answer a calling to serve in ministry, they're volunteering to be refined in ways that are hard to explain before they're experienced. I don't know if that sounds like a weird statement to say. Um, I I once, uh, when I was in college, I had one pastor describe to me, he said, oh, you're planning to be a pastor. He said, you know what it's like It's like the forging of a sword. And I said, How does that I said, how's that your analogy? What do you mean? And he said, Well, do you ever see a a sword forged? And I guess I had seen some aspects of that, but not a ton. And he said, Yeah, I mean you have it fashioned, then it's taken it's then it's heated up, right? It's heated up, and then it's taken out, and then it's beat with a hammer a bunch of times, (laughs) and then turned over and beat with a hammer a bunch of times, and just when it thinks it's done, it's put back into the flame. And then it's taken back out and beaten with a hammer. I was like, you are not painting a very glorious picture. I was like, that's what you think of this role? And, and in my naive nature, I was like, maybe for you, right? You know, I'm, I think I was probably about 20 years old. And I was like, yeah, maybe for you, it's like that. Probably go a lot easier for me. He was right. <laughs> But it's interesting, you know, if you you do choose to kind of step close to that flame and serve in one of these roles, as the Lord empowers you to do so, there are ways you'll be refined. It will be for your benefit, but it's hard to explain until you experience it, because you're going to be expected to keep your life in good order, which is not unreasonable. But at the same time, you're trying to keep your life and your family in good order. You're also going to be called upon to mediate other people's conflicts, or comfort the grieving, or counsel the confused, or lead those who support you, and lead those who make a perpetual habit of questioning everything you decide, you're never going to have a traditional schedule again. The idea of clocking in or clocking out of something, let that go from your mind. It doesn't work that way anymore. You're never going to have a traditional schedule ever again. You're going to be called upon to help or to serve at all hours of the day or night, and you'll just kind of get used to it. It becomes more of a lifestyle than it does an occupation. Sometimes you will absolutely love what you do, and you'll just be thinking, Lord, I am, I am so blessed that I get to do this. Thank you for letting me do this. And then other times you're going to have low moments, and in those low moments you're going to either feel betrayed Or abandoned or unfairly criticized. Those are things you really will experience. And for this reason, it's not advisable to offer yourself for this kind of service outside of a clear calling from God. Because if you're not, if you have, if the Lord has not called you to serve in in one of the forms of ministry that Paul is describing here, one of these forms of leadership, if you don't have a specific calling from God to do it, it's very likely that you're going to end up very disillusioned and very discouraged and probably very hurt. Um, I don't know if you ever check out the website Nine Marks. It's ninemarks.org. They have a lot of useful things for churches and church leaders. They recently released an article. By the way, I'm going to be sharing this again tonight. I'm speaking for an ordination service this evening. A friend of mine is being ordained as a pastor, and he asked if I would speak. And I said, I'd be happy to, and I'm going to share this later tonight at his ordination service, although you have the opportunity to tell me if maybe I shouldn't, because the article they released was called, Don't Make Your Pastor a Statistic. Don't Make Your Pastor a Statistic. And then they, I was like, well, let me read these statistics that they have here related to those that serve in pastoral ministry. It was a, a study that was done by the Schaefer Institute. And these are the statistics. And I have to tell you, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time that most of the statistics they had on the list were not positive. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, apart from a, a, a calling that the Lord's clearly placed on your life, I don't know that, that anyone should ever treat serving in one of those roles of leadership as a game or something that they think is going to be easy, because this is what the, the, the study said. It said, right, first of all, 90% of pastors report working between 55 to 75 hours per week. 50% feel unable to meet the demands of the job, and 70% of pastors feel grossly underpaid as they seek to do that job. 90% feel they are inadequately trained for what the ministry demands. I remember when I, when I first uh, became a pastor, so much of my training focused on teaching and speaking, and I thought, that's good because that's about, you know, that's a large portion of what you do, Right. And then I became a pastor, and I realized that's a third of what you do. Leading and counseling are the other two-thirds. Leading, counseling, and uh, speaking. But I remember thinking, why wasn't more emphasis placed on the leading and the counseling when that's you know, two-thirds of what you're going to be doing? And so you have, it doesn't surprise me when I see 90% feel they're inadequately trained to cope with what the ministry demands. of pastors, so this is almost every pastor, 90% of pastors say that ministry was completely different from what they thought it would be before they entered ministry. Completely different. 70% of pastors, this one concerned me when I saw this, 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. And I thought about that, I thought, 70%? Now, I'll admit to you, I don't mind admitting this, there are seasons that I've gone through where I felt like really low I remember in like 2014, 2015, I always talk about this stuff after the fact, but I remember in that stretch, I was like, man, I feel like garbage most of the time, but then you put on a happy face in front of everybody. I should have been more transparent about that, but it was like nine years ago, so what do you want, right? Um, But I was reading at that time, I actually bought a book at that time about Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes in pastoral ministry. He spent the majority of his pastoral ministry clinically depressed. And you look at that and you're like, wow, and yet the Lord used them, which is kind of an amazing thing to see. 50% of pastors, according to this study, feel so discouraged that they would leave ministry immediately if they could, but they have no other way of making a living, and so that's why they stay. 50%. Related to their marriage and their family, 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. And 80% of their spouses feel that their, their husband is overworked. 80% of spouses feel left out and underappreciated by church members. And by the way, this isn't, um, this isn't some like backhanded way for me to like, say to the church, like, yeah, some pastors feel this way. Hint, hint, right? In sharing this, I promise you that's not my motive. Um, 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider a close friend. 40 percent, so this is like the first one that's under 50 percent, the first stat that's under 50 percent. This is positive, right? But 40 percent report serious conflict with a church member at least once a month. Yikes on that one. Do you, and they also said, there's a, a few more stats right after this I'll read, but do you know what the number one reason pastors leave ministry according to this study? I don't know if I would have guessed this or not but this is what they said. The number one reason pastors leave ministry. I would have thought it was something else. I'll tell you what I think it could be in just a minute. But they said that basically people cho- when people choose not to share their vision. So if they feel that the Lord's given them uh, a vision to lead in a particular way, and people don't share that, it leads to discouragement, and then they end up leaving. And then I looked at the final stats on that list. of pastors starting out will not last five years. So that means that most pastors don't last as long as it took them to get the schooling to become a pastor. Usually to to become a pastor, it's usually anywhere from like, like four to seven years of schooling you end up doing. And so that means you end up doing more schooling for some of these guys than they actually remain in ministry. This stat I did not know. One out of every 10 ministers, only one out of every 10 ministers will actually retire as a pastor in some form. Only one out of 10. 4,000 new churches begin each year and 7,000 churches close in the present dynamic of what's taking place in our country. Over, this is a stat related to 2022, I believe, over 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month last year. And over 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church each month, many without cause. And so I, I share that. I don't know, should I not share this at the ordination service tonight? <laughs> Be like, and Rose is like, do not share. I actually am planning to share it, but if Rose is convinces me not to, I won't. Um, but when I read statistics like that, you know what I actually think when I read that? I was reading that this week, and I read statistics like that, and I think to myself, it just shows that it's miraculous that the church continues to grow generation to generation. Because humanly speaking, it's just not possible. It actually, I look at it, I think it's miraculous. I'm reminded also that, that really no one should go into ministry with a thought for what you're going to get out of it. Sometimes I've heard people say like their motive for ministry, and it's more along the lines of what they hope to get out of it. I actually think the right approach, if you have a calling to ministry of some form, is to go in with a giving spirit, not looking to get something out of it, looking, thinking primarily about what you hope to give to what the Lord's called you to do. Otherwise, I think you're going to be discouraged and disillusioned and probably not last very long. The goal of ministry, what, ultimately, what's the goal here, right? When we look at Ephesians 4, when we think about what Scripture teaches us, the goal of ministry is to build others up in their walk with Christ, not to get something out of it, the goal is to help build other people up. It's to equip others so that many people will be equipped to serve. Now, here's my guess why I think there's, there's less longevity in pastoral ministry than I wish there was. But if I had to guess why these statistics look so grim, I would actually suspect it's because most pastors serve in a context where they're expected to do the majority of the ministry, where most of the things that are being done in the local church really just go through one person. And they have very few people that are ever willing to help them shoulder the load. And that's obviously the opposite of uh, Ephesians 4 and what the Apostle Paul was trying to model. And I also bring that up to genuinely and sincerely compliment our church family and tell you with all sincerity before the Lord... I do not feel that way in regard to our church. There are many of you who partner together with me and the other leaders of the church to serve in a variety of ways. I always tell people if, if they like things in our church, I always say, yeah, if you like something in our church, that's because there's a whole team of people that invo- are involved in all these different quadrants of ministry that go out of their way to make that nice. And, uh, and so I genuinely am grateful for that. But I, I also know, now, I'll also say this, like, it, we're trying to be intentional in structuring our church to oper, operate that way. We're not just accidentally seeing if, like, people might help out here or there. We try and structure to, to uh, do things that way. But when I visit other churches, when I talk to some of my friends in ministry, it, you probably would not be surprised, but maybe you would be, to discover that many of them just feel like they're on their own. You know, the idea that they're often presented with is, look, this is your full-time gig, so you should do all these things, and they're like it's not possible for one person to do all these things. And when you look at Ephesians four, it says that the goal of church leadership is to help equip many people so that we can all serve together. Also, I, I'm convinced that this is one of the reasons why many churches have very little impact in their community. It's only—it's not possible for one person to do all of that. If any church has a meaningful impact in its community, it's because believers are partnering together, not expecting one person to be the place where something can be outsourced. Compliment to our church family. I never feel like, I truly never feel like I have to do what my role in the church happens to be by myself. Very grateful for that. One of the things I'm going to do is challenge the church that I'm speaking at tonight to make sure that their new pastor never feels like what he has to do is done alone they want to keep them a long time. If the average is five years, so far in our relationship, we've tripled it, right? So we're at 15. If they want to see their pastor there 15, 20 years, whatever the Lord decides, if they back him, I think they're going to see that. But here's the thing. When you look at verse 13 and verse 14, the subsequent verses to what we just read together, here it talks about some of the outcome that comes from all of this, right? It says, like, the the point of, of leaders leading well and people partnering together with those leaders, it says, until we all, what? Attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, here you have the Apostle Paul talking a lot about spiritual maturity. And in your opinion, what does it look like to be mature? What does spiritual maturity really look like? I think spiritual maturity involves knowing Jesus deeply, committing the Word of God to our minds and our hearts, and applying the teaching of Scripture to every moment of every day of our lives. And here's the thing, many, many believers do not know the Scriptures and why is that? Why do you suppose many believers do not know the scriptures? They profess a faith in Jesus Christ, but they don't know the scriptures as, as, uh, as Paul here is encouraging us to know. And I think one of the biggest reasons is they don't care enough to learn them. I think that's really what it comes down to. I actually think it's as simple as that. If we're brutally honest, if you care to know something, you'll just find out. There's nothing holding any of us back from knowing what the Scriptures say. If you want to know it, you can know it. If you don't want to know it, you'll spend your time thinking about something else. But here's the problem. In the absence of biblical knowledge, Paul cautions us that we can easily be led astray by worldly beliefs, by false doctrines, by the schemes of the evil one. Don't let that be you. Don't be someone who gets easily led astray because you chose not to value understanding the scriptures. Use your spiritual gifts. Let others use their gifts in, their li- in your life as well. Work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk by faith in Jesus Christ. Commit His word to memory and grow mature in your relationship with Him. I think there's few things as sad as someone who has claimed to know Jesus for decades and decades and decades who still has an untrained, unstructured, undisciplined faith. There's no reason for that other than the fact that we just didn't commit ourselves to it. And if you end up in a position of leadership or influence, use that influence. Use that leadership to actually help people know Jesus through the Scriptures. There's a lot of things that you could do with that leadership or with that time or with that energy or that effort. But the goal is that you help build others up in Christ. Help them understand the Word. You have the Apostle Paul giving us the contrast He says, rather, speaking the truth in love were to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, I'll emphasize that phrase again, when each part is working properly, it's the idea of every one of us partnering together to glorify Christ and build one another up, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so you have Paul concluding all this with these verses, and he does so with the challenge. He wants us to speak to one another in love, but again, please notice what we're called to speak to one another. We're called to speak the truth. And if we're not speaking the truth, or if we're just avoiding uncomfortable truths, we're not really benefiting one another like we've been called to do. In love, we can point out error. In love, we can challenge the wandering. In love, I think we can comfort the grieving. Because of our common faith in Christ, we're united to one another, like one body. And here he's saying, do your part to contribute to the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And keep in mind, the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do so. Have you ever considered the fact that if we choose to avoid using the gift of grace that Christ has given us to serve our our brothers and sisters in the church, that that's the same as withholding our love? From one another. You know, if the Lord's called and equipped and gifted you to lead or serve in some way, and we hold that back, that's really the same as withholding love from one another. It's like having the ability to meet a need out of your abundance, but then choosing to keep the gift to yourself. For Christ's glory and in view of his great love, Keep these things in mind. Let's let's build one another's faith up. Let's grow mature together, but always keep in mind we will need grace to serve one another. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this in our own power. The Lord has also not called us to do it alone. We have the privilege to rely on the Holy Spirit who empowers the ministry He's given us And we also have the privilege to be surrounded by other brothers and sisters in Christ who are also filled with the Holy Spirit, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who partner together with us. And what ends up happening? The church gets built, and it grows. And it's a miracle how the Lord continues to accomplish it. I'm so grateful that we get to see it. I'm so grateful that in our generation we get to be a part of it so grateful for those who volunteer and, and serve in so many ways. And again, I'll just put out one more like, special challenge for those of you that are contemplating some forms of ministry that, that might be you know, forms of ministry leadership that are vocational forms of ministry. Ask the Lord to confirm that calling to your heart. If that's something that, that He desires you to do. He'll make that clear to you. I think one of the ways He'll make that clear to you is also through other people. And then if he raises you up to serve in one of those capacities, as it gets outlined here in in the book of Ephesians, never get to a spot where you rely on yourself. If you over-rely on yourself, I think you're going to be very disappointed. But if you can conduct your ministry in such a way that you remain dependent on the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and guidance and the strength that you need, my guess is that as he empowers you, you're going to last a long time in that role. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this and to think about the grace that you grant us to serve. And, and Lord, each of us have a way in which you've called us to serve and you've equipped us to serve. This isn't something that we're being invited to do in our own strength or in our own power. You're inviting us to rely on you completely for what you've given us to do. So, Lord, we're just so grateful for that fact. We're grateful for the people that you've raised up that were were part of investing in our spiritual growth and in leading us well and pointing us to you. We're grateful for the people that, that modeled what it looks like to lead well by following your son, Jesus Christ, and his humble and servant form of leadership, and we pray that we would do the exact same. In our generation, we pray that we would serve one another well, that we would lead one another well, and that we would rely on the power of your spirit to accomplish these things. Again, Lord, it's, it's our tendency as human beings to be over-reliant on ourselves. We seem to depend on ourselves so frequently. It's actually... I. I imagine, a form of idolatry where we're emphasizing our own wisdom and power above yours. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at portions of Scripture like we looked at today from Ephesians 4, that you'd help us to understand that it's not your calling on our lives that we rely on our own strength and wisdom. You call us to serve in these different forms of, of service or leadership but you don't ask us to do this in our own strength. You give us the grace to serve and the wisdom to do it well. So Lord, thank you for doing that. Again, thank you for the miracle of building up your church over the course of the generations. And Lord, right now, even as we just kind of think about some of those recent statistics about those serving in pastoral leadership, Lord, we just lift up those who are answering that calling. We know, Lord, that we have some in our own church family that are really wrestling with that right now. We pray that you give them clarity. We pray, Lord, for my friend this evening who's being ordained, that you'd give him strength as as he serves and and seeks to honor you and, and accomplish your will in his ministry. And Lord, we pray just among each of us as we seek to go about using the gifts that you've given to us, we pray that we would just humbly rely on you and trust in you to provide the strength that we need for the tasks that you've given us to do. We love you, Lord. Thank you for these reminders from your word. We commit ourselves to you today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.